0: Welcome to the Resilience Road Podcast. I am your host, Isaac Radansky, and today we have a very special guest uh, who is near and dear to my heart. Our guest today is the uh, inventor of Digibabble. He's an author.
1: No, he's an author, author, the, the word power. Digibabble, hopefully not of Digibabble. He, he coined, the
0: phrase, coined the phrase Digibabble. Um, he's an author, a social activist, a great storyteller. A business coach, a friend, a grandfather, a father, a husband, a speaker, a public board member of American Eagle Outfitters and Ethan Allen, former global CEO and chairman of VML Y and R, and one of LinkedIn's most profound and prolific and prodigious influential voices. Um on a personal hey, note on a personal note um david sable our guest today has had an enormous impact on my on my life on our agency's structure and growth trajectory over the years david thank you for being on the show today really excited to have you
1: my honor i didn't have much choice you asked me so
0: so the the, the concept of the show is is to bring people on who have had interesting life experiences and try to frame Some life experiences in resilience, and I think resilience and moxie and grit are you know similar words, and we talk about them a lot. But what does what does when I say resilience, or when you hear the idea of being resilient, what does that mean to you? What are the stories or first things? The
1: ability to bounce back, to transcend whatever might be stopping you, whatever barriers you think might be in your way, whatever bad things have happened to you, that's resilience, right? Your ability to go on. I think that the issue of resilience is that resilience requires huge perspective. And why do I say that? Because the fact of the matter is most of us talk about resilience. It's, oh my God, you know, the train was late today, but somehow I managed to get in and I'm not angry or I'm not sweating it out, like, wow, because I'm really resilient. That's like bullshit. You know, I, I know people who are Holocaust survivors, who have survived cancer, who have have been the victims of someone who's died from cancer, meaning not victims, but they, their families were devastated. I know people who have been wounded in wars, who have been in accidents and Become quadriplegics. And those people manage in ways that inspire the hell out of me. And they're really resilient because they've really overcome stuff. So when I look at my life, the perspective that I have is that that's real resilience. And if you understand, like if you have enough people around you who actually have been resilient, you just kind of get dragged along because all you need to do is. Hitch your wagon to what they do every single day. My friend Alan Brown, who's quadriplegic, is unbelievable. Nothing stops him. Goes swimming every day. He's going skydiving. I mean, there's nothing he doesn't do. Danny is a paraplegic, is going skydiving, plays golf, does crazy amazing things, travels all around the world. Both. And so I look at them. I hitch my wagon to them. I hitch my wagon to people like that.
0: So it's an inspirational, it's an inspirational sense of resilience that you see in people who you admire, who have bounced back from, from, I think, catastrophe. And you see, well, it may, I feel like you're downplaying your own resilience also, because you've had a very interesting, circuitous journey so, over the course mean, of your career.
1: I, you used other words before, grit and moxie. I don't think they're actually the same as resilience. Grit and moxie, grit, I think, is just sort of being down to earth, right? Grit is you're just down to earth. You get it. You get the job done, right? You've got the grit for it. You don't care. You get your hands dirty. That's great. I think that's important, right? That I live my life that. Moxie is about confidence. Right? Moxie is just having the confidence to to be able to Get up every morning. You know, I, I always say, do it bigger, stay in bed. That's moxie, right? You get out of bed, you want today to be better than yesterday. You benchmark yourself on yesterday. Today has to be better. The next day has to be better than that. That's moxie. Resilience, would you right. Would you
0: say, though, would you say that moxie and grit, though, maybe are characteristics of somebody who tends to manifest resilience or somebody yeah, who could, becomes resilient?
1: Could be, but you could have tremendous moxie, you could have tremendous grin, and you could get down, right? I know people who get depressed, people who have huge confidence, people who otherwise seem to be completely functional, and then they end up being depressed about something. Something happens in their personal lives, something happens in the world, something happens to somebody else, and they lose it. And they can't get enough money, and they're not able to. They're not able to to face the world. They're not able to face their job. They're not able to to function. They're not able to to use that moxie, if you will, to use that grit as they did every day, because they weren't that resilient. It happens. It happens. Now, what what would you think? I think that.
0: What would you tell that person? So you have, let's just say, for example, you have a friend who has been resilient, who has been consistent. And he's going through a very difficult patch of time. Like he can't get out of bed. He he lost. He feels like he lost his sense of, ability. He lost his ability to, you know, soldier on.
1: What would you tell him? It's there's nothing that I know. There's nothing that anybody knows, because we really can't understand. Right? You can never put yourself. You know, I know, walk a mile in someone else's moccasins. Yada yada yada. You can't put yourself in someone else's head when they're in that kind of a situation you just can't so the best that you can do is offer yourself as a crutch and try to talk it out with them and try to help them overcome their fear i mean typically i think the issue is usually fear right it's 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 there's a fear you have there's a fear of losing more there's a fear of getting hurt again there's a fear of failing those are the things that hold us back And people who are resilient manage to overcome that fear. Doesn't mean they don't have that fear, but they manage to overcome it because they get up every day, and they just put that fear aside. And it could still be in there; it's someplace inside you. I don't think you can ever completely get rid of it.
0: Yeah, and like,
1: but 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 you understand that in order to in order to get ahead, in order to function, in order to feed your family, yourself, in order to be a person in order to serve your friends, you've got to move ahead.
0: It's almost as if the difference between those who are resilient and not aren't, the difference isn't whether or not you have bad days or bad weeks or patches of depression or feeling down. It's, it's how you manage through those moments or periods of time.
1: It's all how you manage through. And that's why I say, I, to me, I keep everything in perspective. I, I always look now again, nobody wants to hear this 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 is not This is not the antidote to your friend who hasn't shown the resilience because right? people they don't people don't want to hear about other people, but for me or about other people to me, it's always about looking at these other people. It's always about the perspective, putting myself back into that perspective and saying like well, well what did I really lose? or what am I really afraid of?" And is it as big, like look at so-and-so and look what they do, look what they manage and getting inspiration. So to me, what fuels my resilience is the inspiration from others. I think you need- Does it ever make you
0: feel, does it ever make you feel down? Like I could also imagine it backfiring because I'm, if I'm looking up to somebody who is so resilient, who has come back from being a quadriplegic, I feel like how could I ever compete? Like I, I feel guilty now that I'm having a bad day. I feel no, guilty that I'm, all,
1: I'm first of all, he hasn't come back from being a quadruple. He is a quadruple. He is a pathologic. He has whoever it is, they've lost their loved one. They've failed on the test. They've lost the client. Like it's... has it's like you're not coming back from it. What you're doing is moving ahead. It's different. It's way different. And you come So one Oh no there's, no, there's no survivors' guilt here. You're not you're not the survivor of anything, and there's no guilt. Like, what, what do you have to be guilty of? You survivors have guilt, right? That's a known thing. And So if you're the survivor of something, very often survivors have a problem with resilience because they have survivors' guilt. And yet, I I used the Holocaust as an example before, because. Most of the Holocaust survivors that I know were incredibly successful one way or another. And what was success? Success is that they lived the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. They didn't throw the towel in for life. Right? That's unbelievable to think that people could come back from that. And you see it all over the world. And I think that, I think that that's really critical this notion of this notion of resilience being a there's no consistency to it i think sometimes cuz our days we all get down everybody gets down. but it's the ability to pick yourself up again that's really critical there's a great poem by Rudyard kipling called if I highly recommend it. right so which basically is says that if you can just move ahead and keep it to yourself. It's not important, right? It's and and there's there's a great line you you know, walk with kings and queens and still be able to talk to everybody else. Like that's what makes the difference. If you can if you can overcome all these things, and understand that life is a is a gamble, right? It's all pitch and toss, as he as he calls it, which is basically dice. If you can do that and just move ahead, then you're a person. He can says, you tell
0: us a little, can you tell us a little about your, your career, early days, your first job, um, then, and later on in your career, because you sort of spanned from the base of the mountain to the peak of the mountain, but I'm interested in knowing at different stages of your career, moments of setback or moments of da- of feeling down and how you managed to do that. Because in my mind, I see you as like, for, for me, you're a rock. I don't think I've known you for six years. I don't think there's ever been a day or a time that I wasn't able to get in touch with you, that I called you, that I got a sense that things are like down because you're a rock. So like to the same way you look at other people. You, I, I thought
1: it was cause I gave you my cell phone number.
0: That's also why that's also part of the issue. Um, and it's, but I'm sure you've had bad days and I'm sure there have been career setbacks, especially, but tell us life, a little bit about your career in the beginning, go back, is- go back.
1: I'll go back. Look, I just, I actually just wrote about this on, on LinkedIn. I wrote about one early setback, right? And it was, it was pretty, it was pretty simple. I got recruited. I was a kid. I'd spent a year working at YNR. I was in the training program. It was pretty cool. How old are you at this point? 21. I was going into 22 because I'd been there a year. I get recruited like, wow. And was this your
0: first, this was your first job in advertising?
1: First, my first real job. I had worked in high school. I'd been selling copy. I had like all kinds of side gigs going on, even when I was at Y&R. But it didn't matter. Being in the agency was a big deal, right? There was a discipline. It was learning. It was big accounts. It was completely different. And it was wearing a, a suit and tie every day. It was, it was... The discipline of how to take notes of how to roll your sleeves up of when to eat and when not to eat. How to go to a climbing. It was incredible, the the learning. Things I still do to this day, frankly. At
0: 21, you were wearing a a suit and tie.
1: Every day. That's incredible. Everybody did. Everybody did. Just just moving on. So I get recruited, right? And it was a big thing. I felt like a million dollars. You get your first call from a recruiter, I got into Y&R into the training program. is highly competitive because I'd been a summer intern at their biggest client and had rocked it, I guess. And so they said, Y&R, I already got tech, which is great. And so I got the, I you know, I got pushed ahead of the line and I made the, and then I get this call and it's amazing. So I go to the interview feeling, I don't want to say I was cocky because I, is not like one of my states of mind usually. I was pretty confident for a kid. I knew what I knew. And I'd been in this training program. I was pretty polished from that that point of view. And I remember I walked into the guy's room and there wasn't a picture on the wall. There wasn't a picture on his desk. Nothing personal. And my little cube was like a riotous place even back in those days pictures and hanging things that you can't even imagine. They used to get really pissed because I had crazy stuff in there. And I sit down and the first thing, he doesn't even doesn't like give me any asks me no real questions. There's no input. There's no thing. So I'm getting nothing from this guy. And he takes a calculator, which we used in those days, puts it in front of me and says, I want you to calculate the BDI, which stood for brand development index. I didn't know that because we didn't use that. And of X or whatever it was, whatever his brand was. It was actually Midas Muffler's. And it's like, well, gee, it's really nice. I'd love to do it. But could you tell me what a BDI is and tell me what goes into it and give me the equation and show me where I get the numbers to plug in and I'd be happy to do it. He said, no, 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 figure it out. At which point I got up and walked out of the room. Now, I will tell you that, you know, my legs were shaking a little bit. I didn't let him see it. I walked out, walked out of the office, went back to my office. No cell phones in those days. So I had to wait till I got back. Called the headhunter, the recruiter, who is still to this day, my friend, 40 years, 50 years later alone. And I said to her, don't ever send me an interview like that again. I said, I won't work with you. I won't talk to you. Don't ever wow. send me on an interview like that again. I said it was it was demeaning. It was terrible. And but the truth is, I was feeling demeaned. I was feeling, like, holy shit, maybe I'm not worth anything. Maybe I really didn't learn anything. Maybe I'm no good. And maybe I didn't prepare. Like what did I do wrong? I was I was like, literally I was just was beside myself. About an hour later, I get a call from that same agency. It's the president of the agency. It was a pretty well-known agency. Actually, it was famous. The president, he wanted to see me after work. Okay. So I go to see him. And he basically said, don't judge us by that guy. I get it. I spent an hour with him, maybe more. I left with a job that was three stations above the one that I had gone into. And remember, I'm just a kid. That I had gone into interview for at a way higher salary. And within six months, I was higher than that guy. Wow. And so what I learned from that was speak up, be confident. If you are confident, be confident. That's right? but that's like a that's a degree of and confidence I mean, that most Not don't be an asshole. Like, I think that's the biggest thing that you learn from that is right. Don't I, I vowed that moment that when I got into a position to be able to hire people, that I would only interview people and look for, look to help, look to pull out from them what might be great and what might be useful to us. And if they weren't the right people, then just be nice about them and not to be an asshole. Like I made that vow at that moment.
0: Yeah, it I but what you did, what you, that was like a next level amount of confidence. That's not what most people, 21, 22 going in for an interview that they want to, they want to go in for, they hem and haw and trip over their words, try to figure out what the calculation is, change the subject. You got up and walked out, which is like, that's not normal. I
1: knew I didn't know it. It was pretty simple. I knew I didn't know it. I was confident what I knew, and I was confident about what I didn't know. I wasn't embarrassed. I wasn't. When right. I left the room. Afterwards, I was thinking, okay, you know, I second-guessed myself. But there was no way I was going to step up. That was completely different. So it wasn't this, this confidence. I wasn't going to step on me. Like, just why, why would you want anybody to step on you? I wouldn't allow it.
0: So fast forward a little bit, whether it's to Wonderman or back to YNR, CEO, you have accounts. I know that you won most of the accounts you pitched, but I'm sure you've lost accounts. And I haven't heard many stories I about mean, losing accounts.
1: Nobody, nobody ever wins most of what they pitch. I've won more than my share. Nobody wins most. It doesn't happen that way. Uh, which is why, by the way, you have to have thick skin and why you are to. Maybe it was
0: pharma. I remember, I think with pharma, you told me like you didn't, lose, didn't, you lose, didn't lose a pharma pitch.
1: Smiling. No, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. They were, again, very similar to, and maybe it's just life, right? Maybe it's just the way life is. Um, Both are similar. So in one case, I had been asked by the leadership of our company to help with a piece of business that was walking out the door. wasn't my account. Never met the client. Client was a problem. They wanted to try to save.
0: Can you say which client it was? No.
1: So they sent me, uh, it was a, but it was a high end luxury item, personal item that people buy. They sent me to the pit. They sent me to meet the client. I met the client. I could see that the guy was a problem. Didn't like the agency. I knew this was not going to be good, but okay, you know, you do your best. You try. And so we went back. I took a brief. And the creative team, in my view, came up with the best campaign I've ever seen for, it was for watches, by the way. I won't tell you which. Best campaign I've ever seen for watches. And to this day, I remember the campaign. That's how good it was. And essentially the whole idea of the campaign centered around the face of the watch. And the face of the watch often being the one thing that was familiar to you wherever you were. So again, pre-cell phones, pre-your iPhone, and pre-any other way of knowing what time. So everybody wore watches, but you'd look at your watch, right? You'd be in a, a hotel room. And that watch might remind you of something familiar. You knew it. You'd be, didn't make a difference. It was a brilliant, brilliant campaign. And so we present the campaign. The client was sitting way in the back. So back
0: then, back then, campaigns were always presented in person. Is that right? Always in
1: person. Yeah. There was no other way to do it. There's no such thing as Zoom. Hate to tell you. You weren't born yet? Yes. There's no such thing as Zoom. So we went, we, we, client was sitting in the back of the room and his team was sitting close in. And we finished the campaign and the CMO speaks up first. And he was a great guy, the CMO. Now I could tell as we're presenting, the president of the company, who didn't like, who wanted to change, who was pissed for whatever reason, was fuming. Like I could see the smoke coming out of his ears. I knew we were done. CMO says, and I felt bad for him afterwards because he got fired. The, the CMO goes, wow. Because I've never seen an agency come back like this before. This was the best campaign I have ever seen present. It was amazing. And then two other people from his team speak up and say the same thing. President of the company starts screaming maniacally, maniacally from the back, calling his CMO names. He's an idiot. Calling the other two people names. That it was the worst shit he'd ever seen. It was whatever, whatever, whatever. And the people with me, my creative team, literally, like, they looked like deer in headlines. I mean, it was it was abusive. So I said to close your books, let's go. And we start walking out, and he starts screaming at me, you can't walk out. And I said, yeah, we can, because I just resigned the business. Now, you have to remember, I'm not the president of Congress. I was like, you know, I was still young. I was you know, senior for a young guy, but I wasn't that senior. And I quickly found the phone. He had no cell phones. Called the president of the agency, Frank Anfield is a great guy. I said, Frank, I'm just telling you, I just resigned the business. Get to AdH right now and tell them we resigned the business. Because he's going to put out a press release saying that we were fine. And so Frank did it. And so it went out on the wire that we resigned the business because irreconcilable differences irreconcilable differences, so he went nuts because we we resigned, and he couldn't find us, and then he needed us to hang on for a little while longer because technically we could just walk out. I think he he had insisted that there be a short term pause usually it's like ninety days he wanted a short term pause but he couldn't because then he'd have no agency. And so, I mean, it was ridiculous. So that was one. And I'll tell you a second one. So now fast forward. Now I'm actually running. running one And I come in as just, just the, uh, no, I take it back. I just become CEO of Young and a particular client. The same thing. I walked into a situation where a client was walking at, and, We come in, we make a presentation, three awesome campaigns, amazing, like really amazing. I could see the client in one, didn't like any of them, starts arguing, whatever. And I said, Look, I think you're off base. Here's why. Here's proof that we've tested. She's going to test the campaign. We come back in, we're on a uh, a satellite call. This is again, pre-Zoom. So we're in a satellite call in this special room and you have team someplace else and us. And they start showing edited tapes from focus groups. So we're not seeing the whole focus groups. We're not seeing the questions. We're not seeing what they're answering. And it's all negative. But I have no idea what it's negative about because it had absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about. And so after about five minutes of it, I just sat there, we resigned the business. And we walked out of the room. And we also did that. We had cell phones. So we quickly called. We resigned the business. The issue was that they needed it for more than 90 days because it was a huge piece of business. And it was almost six months, I think, that we had to hang in and do it. So I said, the only way we'll do it is at a premium price. Otherwise, we're going to hold the 90 days. And we want to be paid off. Huge piece of business. She had no choice. But again, I think it's, I, I never actually made the link between those three stories, but it's basically the same story. It's just you have to be true to yourself. Yeah. If you know you're th- right, like, look, I believe questions are never wrong, only answers are wrong right? Questions are, questions can't be wrong. Like answer, asking questions is important. Answers can be wrong. But sometimes you know you're not wrong because it's not an answer. It's an issue. Right? Now, maybe the campaign, we shouldn't like the campaign. That's fine. But they were fine campaigns. You didn't like us. That was the truth. So just tell us and let us go away. Right.
0: It sounds almost like there's an element of confidence that fuels resilience um, where I, I I sometimes talk about, or I call it idiotic optimism. Um, and it's this attitude that I think is twofold. One is you're very confident in your own capacity to succeed. Even when the s- chips are stacked against you, statistically, you're unlikely to come out of this like ahead. Um, but people, and I think you're, stories and the way you conducted yourself is a paragon of this idea because you felt confident you felt good about what you were doing the choices you were making most of most situations like this would end up as a failure but you didn't over index on the
1: failure it's like okay i knew we were going to fail i knew going in we were going to fail i was pretty sure right i didn't go into it because i thought we were going to win i went into it because we had to do the right thing and the right thing was to support the team, to support the company, and go out with our heads up, not with our tails between our legs. And so that's what we did. And I'm proud of what we did. I'm proud that we walked out there. And I think did you ever import?
0: Did you ever lose an account, um, and you're you're sitting there feeling like this is it? I this was too big of an account to lose. We're
1: really in trouble. The agency's in trouble. I don't
0: see how I'm going to climb out of this.
1: No. Honestly, I can say that I never had that big a loss. I can say, and my wife will will tell you, that, you know, I've lost business and lost pitches that I thought we should have won. I was pretty sure we had won. So it's slightly different than the other story. And I came back and I was depressed. But, you know, that depression lasted a couple of minutes. Right. It, didn't last, I mean, it probably lasted longer than that, but it didn't last much longer because nobody wants to be around you. How can you move ahead if you? So the, the first thing that I always think about is, okay, so what's next? What am I going to do? Hey, how do we get? Okay, so we lost that. We get another piece of this. What do we learn from this? Debriefing is critical. I think debriefing helps resilience a lot in in business, not necessarily in life. Business before. Like, what'd you do wrong? What'd you do right? Would you do it the same way again? And sometimes the answer is yes. You would do it exactly the same way. Sometimes the answer is no. You realize, wow, I made a mistake. Right. You know, like if I had done X, maybe it would have been different. but Maybe not. Right. Maybe they just didn't like you. Maybe they just thought the other one was better. Maybe it was preordained. You know, who knows? It's it's important. It's just... And I I think
0: that... I think that's part of what has made you an effective leader. I'm I'm not saying you don't have the brains and the skills, but like a lot you you could find a lot of people with the brains and the intelligence and the skills and the humor and the creativity, but the the person who is who, who doesn't allow a stack of success and failed pitches or failures to dim their excitement for what's next tomorrow. I woke up today. And I'm just as excited as it was yesterday. Even though, yeah, we we all lost this pitch together, but I'm the one in the room that everything's amazing. This is great. This is going to be awesome. And those are the type. That's the. That's why people wanted to attach to you as a leader, and a part part of it, in my view, is that like it's just it's just an it's an energy, it's an excitement, it's a moxie that you know, people want to, to tap into.
1: Right, but you have to you have to pay that for. So I'll tell you I'll tell you a, a last story. And we had a um. The big piece of business that we were awarded, we didn't pitch it, we were awarded the business. I was at, uh, when I first took over Wonderman in New York, was amazing, Incredible piece of business, very, very big, put us over the top that year. And the woman who gave it to us had worked for me in another agency, in the same company, but in the same holding company, but a different agency. And it was just like, what? I hadn't seen her in a long time. And she just called me out of the blue because she saw that I had taken over one of them. And she said, I want you to have this business. So we took it over. And then she came to the office and I said, what's that about? Like, this is amazing. And she said, you don't remember, but I'm going to tell you. So we were working on a particular piece of business and I made a mistake. Something that I printed Was wrong. It wasn't. I didn't proofread her well. And it had to be reprinted. And she said, I was standing in the kitchen. I was crying. I was hysterical. And you walked in and you said, what's wrong? And I told you the story, assuming that I was going to be fired. And you said to me, okay, you fucked up. Move on. And she goes, that's it. And I said, yeah, just get it reprinted. We'll eat the costs. It wasn't whoever it was. And you know, that's it. I'm finished. And so now the truth is that was the right thing to do. It wasn't she was incredible. She happened to be a great person, as was proof that she's now a senior in this company. Right? She was amazing. It was a mistake. Was it her mistake, the proofreading? She took accountability for it. I thought that was amazing. She didn't blame anybody. right? Now, I'm a shit proofreader. I can't proofread. I can't spell for the life of me. So I would never, ever allow myself to be a proofreader of something. I'd make sure I had 10 proofreaders in place to be sure and to be safe. And I had that double redundancy built into everything I did always just because I'm such a bad spell. But okay, so she learned a lesson. But she didn't blame anybody. Think about that. Now, had she said, oh, it's all Isaac's fault. He's an ass. Like he didn't do it. I probably wouldn't have been as open to. But the truth is, and she was resilient. And look what happened. Look what look what came back on us because of it, because of the pay forward. And my view, and my bet, not my view, is that she paid that forward ten times in her career as well giving other people benefit of the doubt. So that's basically passing ahead the resilience.
0: So that's interesting because not, not only could resilience be developed, but it could be encouraged in other people. Absolutely. And that forgiveness, it's the, it's that sense of like, look, we're going to get another shot at this and you made a mistake and we move on and we're oh, going to we're going to move on excitedly. And they're
1: going to move on positively. And I think that's a big insight. Forgiveness is, is often a great catalyst for resilience. Like other people forgiving you. Like if you think you've done, and you might, you might have done something. Yeah. Other people. I reg- remember. Is, is resilient.
0: I think one of the first times I really saw this lesson that you, for, for, from you, you paying it forward to me was I called you. Three or three years ago on a Sunday morning, I said, we got this AstraZeneca pitch, Big Pharma. We don't know what the hell we're doing. It's just 70 pages of questions. We've never been delivered an RFP of this size. I said, David, like, look, I called three other CEOs in the industry from performance agencies. Each one told me, do not spend your time on this pitch. Um, you're going to lose. You don't have Big Pharma case studies. Even if they like your stuff, they won't give you the business. Don't waste your time. It's going to cost you too much money, too much time. And you said, like, what? Like, what nonsense what absolute nonsense let's get to work let's get to work call me anytime you need any questions you have at, you have any questions you have about the rfp i'll tell you what to write get to work and we got to work and it was 8 weeks of intense i mean the whole agency was sidetracked putting together materials for this pitch and it was expensive and we made the the funny video i look back and we lost the pitch we lost the pitch And we lost the pitch for the very reason I was told that we were going to lose the pitch for. But I look back, it's not only looking back fondly at that time, we came out of that experience with 10 new pieces of content, 10 new ways of looking at performance marketing, um, uh, an attribution model, a sales velocity like formula that could be plugged into any other client. We came out like we came out of that two months a demonstrably smarter, more effective agency. And we have reused those materials 20 times since then to win business. And I think like that, it was just that attitude. is like, you're looking at this from the basis of whether or not you're going to win this account. Like that's the wrong way to look at it. Look at it as an opportunity to grow and to develop yourself. And who the hell cares if you win the account? You're gonna be, your whole team will be better for this. Do it. Like This idea that you're not gonna win the pitch, therefore I'm not gonna try. It's such a like you. You it was like a real flake, and I every time since then we received a pitch, even pitches we know that it's a very slim chances of us winning. You go all in. You go in swinging. You go down swinging, and that's a you know I think that's a, that's a an optimism and a and a mindset that I picked up from you over the years.
1: Well, thank you for that. But yeah, I mean it's all part of the it's all part of the chain. It's all part of the the resilient chain. chain. Yeah. It just is because if you, if you approach everything that it's, you're going to win. First of all, there's a cockiness to that. It's nonsense because you can't. And I think that it sets you up for worse failure because then failure is much harder. You don't accept the truth of failure. You just look for the blame of failure. And I don't think the blame of failure is, shows resilience. I think it shows finger pointing. And that's never good.
0: Yeah. Last thing before we wrap up, I want to get your take. You, you spoke recently about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid on LinkedIn.
1: One of my favorites.
0: And you quoted the famous dialogue between Butch and Sundance before they jump. And I and may, you tell me if I'm wrong, but maybe there's an element of resilience here. Um, when Butch says, I'll go, I'll go first. And Sundance says, I can't swim. And what Sundance is saying is like, I can't do this. I cannot win this account. I physically can't do it. And Butch didn't respond. I'll teach you how to swim. You can swim. All you need to do is kick your hands. Like he didn't try to attack the anxiety or like the feeling that I'm going to fail. It was like a total, in my view, like a brilliant reframing. It's like, you don't need to worry about swimming. You're going to die from the fall. And of course, that's an, it's an ironic way of, but I think maybe that's the similar idea. Is there, you're like, and you tell me, I mean, what, did you t- what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, that's why I quote it all the time, because that's exactly what it is. Like the fall is going to kill you. So what the hell? Right? You're going to die in that, in that particular scenario, right? They're coming after them. If they stay there, they're dead for sure. Might take out a couple of, them. doesn't matter. They're dead. Go on. So the only, the only option is to go off the cliff and that might kill them. And I don't know how to swing. That might kill you too. But those are two mites. That's a certain. You go off the cliff. Like there's no choice. You know, there's a famous story. Um, and this, this will end. There's a famous story about the king who is pissed at one of his advisors and he's like so angry at him, he's just going to kill him. And he gets the, the executioner, he's about to cut his head off and the executioner and the the advisor screams out, you know, son, son, don't kill me. If you let me live, I will teach your favorite horse, your beloved horse, how to talk. So the king said, really? He said, yeah. He said, I've never told you, but I have the power. I can do this. So the king says, you have a year, a year from today. If a year from today, the horse isn't talking off with your head. So they let him go and the advisor's friend comes to him and says, what are you crazy? You're going to teach the horse. What are you? What were you thinking? He said, look, he said, I've got a year. Here's what's going to happen. I may die. The horse may die. The king may die or the horse may talk. And so that's, to me, is the same philosophy as the Butch Cassidy thing. So I always say we're going to get into a situation like that, the horse may talk. Who knows? The horse okay. may talk. That's, that's resilient. Yeah. The horse may talk.
0: David, thank you very much for being here today. Um, I think it was an interesting and inspirational conversation. Appreciate your time. But um, well, last,
1: question to you, and don't forget, The horse may talk the horse may talk (laughs) last thing
0: where if people if people want to people want to follow you online um what's the what how's the best place to find you linkedin
1: LinkedIn
0: is linkedin look up david sable the imagine newsletter in particular thank you um david thank you very much